Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching Clubland, we speak to Callum Appleyard. Cal's an emerging coach in Victorian Premier Cricket. He's been an assistant coach at the Greenvale Kangaroos, Essendon and now Footscray. And prior to that, he was captain coach of the West Coburg Cricket Club in the VTCA across six seasons. His commitment to bettering himself is one of his endearing qualities, as underlined by the research he does and the undertaking of professional development courses. Last summer, he also had the opportunity to support the Victorian under-17 and under-19 teams, as well as the Australian Test team, and look at how data is used to support players at the elite level. In our chat with Cal, we talk about using data to drive improvement, upskilling yourself through professional development, and the role of the assistant coach in Clubland. This episode is proudly brought to you by Technique Matt. To be the best batsman you can be, visit techniquematt.com.au for more info and follow Technique Matt on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast, Cal Mapwiard. Thanks, Mitch. Great to have you along, mate. And uh, we've had a, an association for a few years with our roles at Essendon Cricket Club. But I believe in the next couple of days, you've got a, a world-exclusive interview with Trevor Bayliss and Gary Kirsten. Can you talk us through that? A little bit nerve-wracking, but did a uh, online course with through the Gary Kirsten Coach Ed Cricket during COVID last year, and for an elite accreditation, they're using the coaches now to sort of help run webinars. So this coming Tuesday, I'm sort of the first coach off the rank to uh, sort of co-host and, and interview Gary and uh, Trevor on uh, Tuesday night, just all things cricket. So it's going to be interesting, you know, getting the chance to to chat to the international coaches. So it's going to be interesting, but a lot of fun as well. Need to get your Michael Parkinson on, mate. Yeah. Oh, well, that's right. It's uh, I've got my uh, notes down. I've got to type them all up and make sure I've got it in the right order. Otherwise, uh, there's no uh, editing on live webinars. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to be careful with it. But um, no, nah, it should be fun. Sounds like a great opportunity. And I guess the last year or two with your coaching and, and progression, it's really um, gone on leaps and bounds. Like You've been involved in some elite setups over the last 12 months with the Victorian underage stuff and the uh, the Aussie men's test team as well. What are some of the major takeaways for you from these experiences? Like first off, it was, I guess, the, the times that we've been in trying to invest as coaches in yourself is very hard because I think there's not a lot of room to move. Once you've got your Level 2 Cricket Australia certificate, it's very hard to get up to the next level. So when this course came along, sort of jumped into that and it had opened up sort of networks. So by opening up these networks and now being involved in some of these sort of elite environments, it's it's been an eye-opener actually because I thought going into some of these environments that it's going to be all the bee's knees or they're going to have state-of-the-art of everything, but it's they keep it very simple, sort of less is more. It's uh, I just thought I'd be a fly on the wall, especially with the Aussie test team for the four days, but I was quite sort of involved talking with the players, talking with the coaches and then working out what they were doing, what their aims were for that session, what the planning was behind it, strategies putting in place. And then obviously on the tools, I was side-arming for a good four days, which was uh, a bit nerve-wracking in itself, uh, setting the ball down to um, a few of the players and uh, making sure that you could get it online and you weren't going to make yourself look like a fool with uh, hitting the side netting or bowling a bumper. 
Can you give us an example of a, a really simple message delivered from a, a coach to maybe an Australian fast bowler or a batsman for that matter that surprised you at the simplicity and the and how streamlined that message would have been? Well, it was more so the conversations I had with the bowlers themselves with sort of Hazelwood Stark, Cummins, standing at the back with them while they were bowling and they just what they were trying to get out of the session. It was just making sure that they were just looking at their rhythm into the crease, their momentum. That's all they were focusing on. And then the next day, all it was was length. They were just looking at length and, and getting that ball to move. They weren't trying to, you know, do X amount of variations or whatever it was. It was two days leading into the, the Boxing Day Test match that they just wanted to hit the, the channel that they, you know, know that they can hit and weren't trying to get the, the aim was, wasn't trying to get their teammates out. It was literally just find their rhythm, find their line of length. And each bowler had a different sort of amount of volume that they would want to be doing leading up to the test match. And if they didn't want to, you know, overdo it with uh, the gym work and bowling work, they wouldn't, they just stop or, and even some of the batsmen, they would hit X amount of balls and I thought oh, they'll probably come back again and have more of a hit, which they didn't. They just, until they felt right, they did enough what they had to get done. And then that was it. I thought they would be there for hours, hitting balls, getting balls thrown to them, you know, doing drill work. No, nah, it was as simple as face the bowlers, face some sidearms, and that was it. So you touched on the rhythm and the feel for the bowlers, momentum through the crease, et cetera. And then I know that in terms of data and, and using data in, in our messaging to players, that's a real focus for you. I guess marrying those two things up, you know, the feel and the the confidence levels that you have in your skills, and then also what the data tells us in terms of strategy and planning. It's an interesting conversation, I think. And I guess with data sets and, and cricket is very data heavy, how do you filter this back to players in terms of what's most important for them? Because we don't want them to come into games really overthinking things. Yeah, I think with um, obviously every player is different with data, how they take it on. Um, some guys aren't interested in it too much. I was obviously lucky enough being in that camp, Dean Hills, which is the performance analyst, because I've got a, a keen interest in the, the data side of things. It was, it was great to chat to him and see what they go about in, in their preparation and what data that they feed back to the players. And from a bowling point of view, it was good because knowing what ground that they were playing on, they would then work out what length you have to bowl on this particular wicket um, and this ground, what, what average of runs have been scored at this ground and the opposition that they were playing, I think at the time was obviously the Indian team. Some of these batsmen had never played at the MCG before. So then they'd still revert back to some of the grounds that they have played on in similar sizes and work out where their weaknesses are on the big grounds, where they, where are they looking at scoring and things like that. So I think if you bring it back to sort of club land and, and with a role that I've sort of uh, involved with now, obviously a, a lot more sort of data orientated as well as normal coaching but it's a matter of just probably simplifying it for club land and, and having it sort of teams based so each individual will probably still have you know we can have data on them and then if they are interested in it we'll then feed it back to them and it's a matter of them trying to incorporate some of the things that need to be done at training on a skills based and then you're just probably looking at match day data but from a team's point of view you're looking at opposition and, and grounds data without overcomplicating it. And it doesn't mean that on game day, you're just going to have a whiteboard full of data. It's You just pick apart certain points, things that are working and things aren't working. And these are the areas for improvement. And I guess in terms of collation of that data, you know, my cricket's pretty, you know, accessible to all. And, and things like Frogbox, I guess, with in, in Premier Cricket with broadcasting or streaming uh, has really opened up things as well, the opposition analysis. But what are some of the methods that you use to collect data to filter back to players and coaches? I look at, especially the year that's just gone, for which was a whole year on white ball cricket. So main thing I'm looking at 
from a bowling point of view is sort of dot ball percentages, you know, how many dot balls uh, did they bowl in the innings? And then that's obviously streamed across the whole year. So it's it's a matter of literally, you, you know, some of that stuff you can't find on my cricket too. You've got to go through the books and literally count each dot ball that they've bowled in each game. And it's the same thing, boundary percentages. How many boundaries have they been hit for each game? And then you total it up and you get an accumulative per season. So their season might have been made up of, say, 65% of their overs were dot balls, but 33% of their runs might have been coming boundaries or that might be higher. Um, how many singles were, were scored against you? And, and it's the same for the batsman. What was your boundary percentage as a batsman? What was your single percentage count? Little things like that. So that, that shows that some batsmen aren't rotating the strike or they're just looking for their boundaries. As simple as that. So some of the messaging would be, you know, just try to get off strike a bit more. We know you can hit a boundary, but just try to, that's not your go-to every single time just to get off strike. And then just with opposition analysis, it's the same sort of concept. You've got if you stretch it out in a red ball cricket, you've got sort of maiden percentages um, as, as opposed to dot ball percentages. Obviously, your dot ball count's going to be a lot higher in red ball cricket. And the rumour is that you're collecting your data on a Saturday night while the boys are at the Albion enjoying themselves. <laughs> you're uh, filtering this data and having a look and going a real deep dive analysis. Yeah, yeah at home with a, a couple of bottles of red, I think, just to get me through the night. So it's mainly... Um, it's probably sometimes stretched out to a, a Sunday and then during the week as well. And then... It's a matter of filtering it back to the captain at the time, maybe during the week, they can have a look at and the other coaches and then it's left up to them how they would best use it on a Saturday in a, in a say, a pre-match discussion um, and we just pull apart. You know, you could have all the data in the world, but then certain games would be, we're just going to pull three parts of that data out and that's going to be the focus for this game. And that would be obviously teams-based, not individuals-based because I think individual-wise... As a coach, you'll just discuss that with the player and that's for them to work on, either, say, on a Tuesday or outside of training. And then otherwise, it's just team-based data. And I think that's really important in stripping that back to two or three things to focus on because if it becomes any more than that, you know, the individual's got their own role to perform. There's a, there's a team goals within that. There's scoreboard pressure. You know, the context around where your season might lie, there's probably too many things that start to crowd the mindset of the players. So I think... Breaking that up into two or three uh, focus areas at most is, is a really important yeah. thing. One thing that you're really strong with and, and you know, investing time in is your professional development. Why, why do you think this is such a priority for you in terms of your growth as a coach? I think sometimes as coaches, you could probably get too comfortable and stagnate at the certain levels wherever you're coaching at. So I think by trying to in, invest in yourself as a coach with courses or get your networking out there as much as possible and have those discussions with guys who have been in that system higher up. And then you can learn a lot more that way To The coach head course was a, a perfect example of that. You know, the, one of the biggest things that they kept referring back to was relationships, you know, as a coach. You could, you, you might be able to analyse batting, bowling, fielding. You might be the best coach technically, but if you haven't got a great relationship with players or other coaching staff, you're not going to go far as a, a professional coach. It just simple things that was I wanted to find out more about what you needed to be at the next level. And it was relationships was a big thing that stood out. So and I, I discovered that on that course. So I think because a lot of guys will stagnate and that's where I felt I was going as a coach. So I think to try and get in that professional environment, you've got to invest in yourself and try and open up as many networks and talk to guys that have been involved in that system and find out what it's all about and find what makes them tick and what was working for them. But what may work for them might not work for you. You've got to obviously have your own coaching ways and techniques as well. I think a challenge is when you're trying to forge those relationships, it's something that I've probably experienced is 
you're wanting to be a friend and, and nurturing or supportive of players because they all have their you know their journeys, I guess. But uh, you're their coach as well. So how do you strike that balance between coach and and mate? It's a very fine line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as and I think even even at a, a local club level as well, because most of the the coaches at Clubland are, are still playing with these blokes as well. So you're not really a coach on a Saturday. You're more, you know, a player or a captain. So, but when it comes to time to drop a so-called mate, it's not an easy call. So how do, how do you sort of differentiate that? And I think that's where your relationship with your players and your communication is set up at the start of the season. So, you know, you're happy to be everyone's mate. You're happy to have a beer and, and everything with them. But if, if they know exactly what you're about and if you're not pulling your weight in, whether it's, you know, communication, attendance at training, and obviously your selection criteria is all got to down, you know, downward to performances. Well, then I've got no choice and it's nothing personal, but this is what's best for the team. So I think it's it's giving, making sure that they've got a clear understanding of what is required of them from you to start the season with. And when you need to say, I guess, knuckle down on them, that they respect you enough that to take that on board and realise that, they've got to either pull their head in or pull their weight. Otherwise, they will be dropped regardless of your relationship. Uh, spot on. I think that's so important. I guess for coaches like you and I, you know, we haven't played at the, the highest level. We haven't played first-class cricket or or for Australia. So yet we've worked with players that are in the state system or, or have played for their country. How do you how do you walk in the room or, or, or run a session where you know that the players might have had high level experiences in you but feel confident enough to to give them that instruction or little clip if you need to it's a hard one to answer really i think it, it comes down to obviously a relationship and what you're like as a person i think if you're open and honest with them from the get-go regardless of your cricket background it's it's respect obviously goes both ways if you sort of get an idea if they're not respecting you with what you've done with your cricket because you haven't done what they've done but i guess that it's not going to happen straight away. I think that's it's something that probably has to build up over a little bit of time. But if you go to a different group that might only have one or two of those players in it, but the culture at that club is has been instilled in them to respect everyone that's in a, a coaching role, well, then it's a bit of a different story because they're going to respect you no matter what. So I think it comes down to cultures at the club uh, that are already instilled there. And then it's a matter of trying to follow, you know, keep building on that culture to respect no matter who it is or what they've done. You just respect them and what they're trying to say because they're not doing it just for out of the good of their heart. They're, just, they're doing it to try and better you and the team. And, and if, if you've played first-class cricket or whatever, but if you're struggling with um, runs or there might be something that's not working for you and they might mention something to you that actually could help your game uh, and you're not paying attention to it because they haven't been at that elite level, well, then... How are you going to improve yourself or how are you going to fix that deficiency if you're not going to listen to anyone? I think it's it's just, it's got to be from the get-go. I think it is, as long as you're open and honest with them and, you know, they, it comes down to that, that individual too, just how they respect cricket coaches. And I think it comes back to also coaches being facilitators of learning and improvement and maybe not necessarily having all the answers or having played, you know, test cricket, but but certainly, you know, I'm going to support you along the journey and let's find out together and I'm going to, you know, give you a chop out when it comes to practicing some of these things. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Just remember that if you're driving and you get in a bingle, praying or a scrape, make sure you contact Anthony at S&J Smash Repairs for all of your insurance and private work needs. Call him on 9357-9944 or visit www.sjsmash.com.au. Alrighty, let's get back to the interview. 
Now, you've been an assistant coach at Greenvale Kangaroos for a couple of years, Essendon for three years as well, and yep. also uh, a recent appointment as the assistant coach at Footscray Cricket Club as well. In your mind, what's what's the role of an assistant coach in clubland? It's obviously to assist the senior coach as much, much as possible, I guess. Um, if they've got to handball some stuff to you, well, then, you know, so be it. it, it I mean, I think every assistant role that I've done, it's probably been slightly different at each club. I think, you know, you're, you're probably expected to obviously mainly help set up with a lot of things. As assistant coach, you're probably privy to having more of those conversations with players as opposed to the head coach because they're probably going to come to you more often because they may not be able to get a hold of the head coach or you might be seen to be spending more time with those types of players. Uh, so you end up creating those relationships with the players to then maybe feedback some information to the coach because the coach just probably hasn't got the time to create those relationships. You know, you probably, like anything, you're expected to run certain training sessions as well and just, you know, be a support as best as possible. Game day, off-field, on-field, whatever it may be. Um, it's probably changed over the time as well with myself getting involved in a bit more data or performance analysis stuff because obviously now you, you end up doing a lot more things behind closed doors and at night time on weekends because... I've sort of added another string to my bow outside of just normal coaching. When I would have been at Greenville, it was literally just coaching during the week and on the weekends and I might have had a look at some numbers, but that's about it. Whereas you then just go back and, and switch off. But I think as you, as time's got on, I think you never, even as an assistant coach, you're never not thinking about the game. The head coach always will be as well and obviously thinking about a lot of things, but I think some people think the assistant coach would just switch off because you're not the head coach. But I know from my point of view, it's not the case because you're always still looking at data and working out how as an individual or a team can we keep improving. Yeah, depending what your role is as an assistant, whether it's you could just be a specialised batting coach as an assistant, well, then you're just obviously going to concentrate on the batters. But I think in this modern day, you've got to be a jack of all trades. You've got to be able to sidearm. You've got to be able to catch, be good on the glove with the, the bowlers and, and and with the glove and the bat in the field as well. You've got to be able to sort of do everything. I think the, the days are gone of just being pigeonholed as a one specialist coach coach, and that's it. Um, and that's something I've had to jump back onto, uh, even with the sidearm. I'm glad I did because I think if I rocked up to the uh, Aussie training and hadn't thrown a sidearm for five or six years, I think uh, I would have quickly been marched out of there. So, now you're always a bit gun shy on the sidearm a few years ago, and now, you've, uh, yeah. now you're a master, I've, I've heard. Yeah, it's uh, when you get told you've got to slow down at training, it's like, well, I must be doing something right then. So. <laughs> Uh, very good. It's, uh, yeah, so it's it, you just got to be able to adapt, I guess, to each environment that you're in um, as an assistant coach because you've just got to build those relationships with the head coach, you know, how they think, how they want things done because, you know, you know, like yourself, you're obviously very structured and, and planned with, with training. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'd be the same. So, you know, each job you go to would be different with each head, co- head coach. So you've just got to adapt to that and, and work out quickly how it's going to work for you and we worked together at Essen for a couple of years and the club won its first club championship for 51 years in 2018-19 and I guess you're a key driver in that as a senior assistant coach casting your mind back you know two and a half years ago now what were some of the things that really worked from a coaching perspective during that season I think Probably looking at it, the guys were probably able to express themselves more so as players I, I think probably at times they sort of got out, it's a hard one because they sort of got out what they needed to get out at training to keep improving, but it just worked for, obviously I was involved with the, the ones for the whole season. So with that group that 
I think we finished second that year from memory. Yeah. Um, that group was just able to perform. I think it was the balance of the team was all the squad was was right with bowlers, batters, the the experience and probably inexperienced guys that were there. They just found a knack of, uh, you know, there was an enjoyment factor from it. I, I think they tried to take the seriousness to a point away from that group um, and just go out and enjoy it. Sometimes it paid off massively, sometimes it didn't. And that sort of filtered down maybe through the other grades as well. I still think there was a form of development that was still happening with a lot of these young blokes now that are playing first and second level cricket in the current day. It's It was my first year in, so it was sort of, I guess from my point of view, I was obviously just trying not to rock the boat as a coach, I guess, um, first year in. But I, I think there was a sense of, I think the first 11 especially was at one sort of big group that they just gelled um, on and off the field. And obviously there were some remarkable performances when you've got two blokes, I think, in Nugget and Jim that got a 1,000 runs that year as well. And I think Hilly wasn't far behind. Um, and then you've got someone that's getting 45 wickets in Dawes when you've got those guys. And being led probably by um, Squid as well was a bonus, having him around that group, probably just a calm head and was able to pull things back when if things weren't going well. And very rarely did he get flustered if things weren't travelling well. So I think having a leader like that's very important. And that's the leader of your club as well as, I guess, club captain. And some of those, you know, champions of Premier Cricket too and have, you know, wonderful records and have, have played state cricket or BBL cricket. And I think even characters around that group, you Justin Galliotti's and Connor Rutland's, you know, you know, pretty solid citizens and you know what you're going to get from those guys in terms of effort and application. I think it all sort of conspired. And we're talking very much first 11 here, I guess, but all sort of conspired with a, with a pretty consistent year. Ultimately, it didn't quite deliver at the club premiership, but it put us in, 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 a, in a frame where we're not far away at the time. It put a few of those young players, I guess, on the map. And, and you got to see, I think, especially Juzzy. Juzzy, I guess, at maybe at the start of the season, you could have said it was a bit of a wild card to play in that first 11 as long as he did. But he had those performances on the board. And it's even in the last couple of years, he, you probably we probably hadn't replaced someone like Juzzy at the top of that order with what he go, the way he goes about his batting. So guys like that, who are, have been at the club for X amount of years who have sort of grown up through the club. So when you lose players like that to your team, it's a very big hole to fill. So having those in the performances, Juz was a part of some big partnerships there to actually get us across the line. So, yeah, those homegrown players have been fantastic. And you're moving to the, the Crosstown Rivals Footscray. What does that role mainly entail? So what, what's sort of the difference there between what's coming up for you next season versus what you've done the last three, four years at Greenvale and Essendon? Working back with First Living Cricket again, I think last year, just a slightly different role um, ended up being with the, the twos all season um, at the Bombers, you know, which was great being able to spend the whole season with a young group and getting to develop those guys and see the, um, you know, how they've grown as not only players, but as young men as well and having a, an experienced captain there in, in Johnny Hutter helped as well and we had a good connection so with the doggies getting back involved in first seven cricket was what I wanted to be doing working with Alan Wise I think is a, a big one for me as well obviously someone who's had a lot of first class experience who's coached and played a lot of cricket at Richmond um, coach Richmond had some success there and obviously now with the doggies getting the chance to work with him and learn from him um, was a big sort of motivating factor as well. Um, and they're keen on the the analysis stuff, which is something that they haven't done before. So I think 
with my role is obviously assisting Wisey as much as possible during the week with uh, either training, but it's mainly on a Saturday. Him and I will be running the ones together and it may free him up now to, you know, visit other 11s if he has to or or things like that. And, and we've, he's now got the ability to have myself with a data point of view that um, can throw the numbers at him, all the players, and, and um, we can analyse it and, and see how we best can use it. So it's, yeah, looking forward to it, but yeah, getting back into first eleven cricket was a big one. And I think Footscray is an excellent club, both on on field and off field, with plenty of talent and plenty of experience too. So I think um, I'm sure you had plenty of value there. I guess in closing, Cal, you've coached West Coburg for you know in different stints across six years. Uh, you've been an assistant coach across a few clubs now in Premier Cricket. What's the next progression for you? Is it more specialising in skills, almost that consultancy model, or is it? your you know your overall head or senior coach it's a good question i think covid's thrown a few things out <laughs> over the last 12 months with uh with travel there's been a few things that it might have popped up but uh international travel makes it very difficult at the moment so i think for me is um i'm happy to keep doing what i'm doing in regards to a senior assistant role and not being fixated on that one particular model but the analysis side of things is is stepped up so I think if, um, you know, if the right job was to come up for a head coaching role um, and everything was falling into place, well, then, yeah, I'll probably jump at the opportunity to do it. But otherwise, I think with some of the networks I've opened up, I'd love to get a bit more experience and helping in a different culture. So if I'm able to snag some work with the ICC affiliate nations, either on a short-term or long-term basis, so obviously working in international cricket, but in a different environment culturally, and I guess facility-wise as well. So I guess if you can work in those type of environments, it would be really challenging as a coach. And I think it would be very rewarding to see some of these lesser nations and some of these players get developed. And we've seen what some of these players have come out to the BBL and they've gone on to start them because some of these, you know, most people would never have heard of some of the players that had come out here before. And now look at them, you know, Afghanistan's, you know, recognised internationally now with some of the players that started off coming through with the BBL. So if you're able to get a hold of some of these affiliate nations, that, that would be sort of my next move, I guess, if I, you know, pending COVID and things like that. But otherwise, if the right job was to come up and it was a fitting time for myself, I probably would jump at the, the head coaching role. Apple's been fascinating to chat about, I guess, your coaching journey and uh, how you use data to support what you're doing in Clubland. Really great connecting again, mate, and thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, MJ. A lot of fun and it's great to see you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.